I heard a disembodied amen from somewhere. I don't, don't know where that came from. I don't know if that was that an angel or. Want to welcome all of you today. Goes on Facebook, YouTube, and of course here at Logos. Blessings to all of you. I've got a, a very, I believe, appropriate word for the hour in which we live in today. And I encourage you to please listen very carefully as I share this morning from the book of Judges, chapter 6, verse 36 to chapter 7, verse 7. We are continuing our mini-series in the life of Gideon. I've entitled this message, 300 Judges chapter, and that's not the movie 300, by the way, in case you're wondering. Judges chapter 6. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said, behold, I put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only, and be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said. And it was so, for he rose up early in the morning, and thrust a fleece together, and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, by this once, with the fleece, let it now be dry only upon the fleece and upon all the ground. Let there be dew. And Gideon and God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. Dew upon all the ground. And then Jeroboam, who was Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod. Please notice Herod. Interesting, we'll tell you later. So that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the, will, uh, by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt or puff themselves up themselves against me, saying, My own hand. Now therefore, go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from, from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people 22,000. And there remained only 10,000. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too small, many. Bring them down into the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee, and of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog laps, let him, 
him shalt thou set by himself, likewise every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink. 9,700 of them drank as a dog would drink. But only 300 lapped with their hands into their mouths. What a story we have this morning, but so significant and appropriate for the time in which we live in. As I mentioned, we are continuing our little series in the life of Gideon. And this morning, I'm talking about an extremely important subject. Extremely important. That all of us can relate to. So the message I'm sharing with you today is not for brother so-and-so only, or sister Agnes only. It is for every single person. What is my focus this morning? My focus, brothers and sisters, is how not to discover God's will. How not to discover God's will. Why does this pertain to everyone? Because everyone who's a believer, certainly, and even non-believers in some cases, have grappled with the issue, Lord, is this your will for my life? Let me, let me ask a rhetorical, well, let it not be rhetorical. Let me ask you a question. How many in this congregation have grappled with that, that very issue? Lord, is this your will for my life? I'm sure if I asked you to raise your hands, every single person in this congregation would raise their hand this morning. You see, knowing God's will is the key to everything. Knowing God's will will make all the difference in the world. But sometimes the problem is, knowing God's will can be vague. Knowing God's will can be cloudy. Knowing God's will can be nebulous at best at times. We're not sure. And that's where we get into trouble at times. When we do not know God's will about something the question is, how are you going to respond? That's the question. And that's where we get into trouble. That's what got Abraham into trouble. He knew what God wanted him to do, but he ended up doing something that God had nothing to do. And so he ends up going to Egypt, and he ends up meeting Hagar, and the rest is history. We get into trouble at times when we do not know what God wants. And many times... What we do is we will take it upon ourselves to discover what needs to be done. And so, sometimes, God's will can be unclear and we respond in a way that can really hurt us. For the Bible tells us that we can know God's will. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 17, Paul gives us a powerful word. He says, do not be drunk with wine words in excess, but be filled with the Spirit of God, knowing therefore the will of the Lord. Knowing therefore the will of the Lord. We 
can know the will of the Lord. In Amos chapter 3 verse 7, the Bible tells us that he reveals his secrets or his word to his servants. So that the Bible tells us that God will reveal what you need to know to a servant, a servant, a disciple, a servant, a believer, that God will indeed do that. The Bible also tells us in Philippians chapter 2, I believe it's the 13th verse, that what he worketh in us, he worketh in us both to will and to do his pleasure. So we can know his will. But because sometimes his will is vague, or because sometimes it may not be clear, we just heard Sister Elma say that God doesn't always give us the details. Did you not say that? And that's where we can get into trouble, Sister Alma. Because we don't know the details, we can end up in the flesh. And so the Bible is clear that we can know the will of God in our lives. Interesting story. As I begin this morning about a man who desired to know God's will for his life. So he opened the Bible, King James Version, and he put his finger on... Anything he opened up, something like this. So, okay, God, sh show me your will. And just opened the Bible randomly and he put his finger at the scripture that he first landed upon. And the verse happened to be Matthew 27, verse 5. And it says, Judas went out and hanged himself. And he said, oh, that, that, that can't be God's will. I made a, let me try it again. Let, let me try it again. Okay, we're going to... Just randomly. He landed in the book of Luke. This time. Luke chapter 10 verse. True story by the way. Luke chapter 10 verse 37. Which says go. And do thou likewise. <laughs> true story. And he said. Oh, this can't be true. This can't be God. So he closed his Bible. And he tried it for the third time. And he just opened it randomly. Bang. Put his finger there. He ended up in John 13 27. Which says. What thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. Can you imagine that? Oh, this method has been coined the fickle finger fate method. And don't get so spiritual on me. I'm sure that half of you have done the very same thing. It doesn't work that way. That's not how we discover God's will. But there's another method that we see in scripture. Another method in how not to discover God's will. And you might say, Pastor Dino, hold on a second. If you're talking about the fleece, isn't that a way to discover God's will? Did not Gideon do this? Well, this method is called putting out a fleece method. I'm sure you've heard it. Maybe you've heard a message preached on this. Or maybe... Can I be bold enough to say, maybe you have done that. Maybe you've put out a fleece before God. And you justified that fleece by saying, wait a minute, didn't Gideon put out a fleece before God to determine his will? Let me explain to you what a fleece is. God, you know I'm going through something right now and I'm not sure what you want me to do. So far, so good. I think all of us have been there. Have, 
can I hear an amen? We've all been there. And so God, since I don't know exactly what to do or who to marry, oh, there's a big one. Uh, I'm, hap- I, I hap- I'm meeting with Susie tomorrow. I'm not sure if she's, I, I, think, she, I think you want me to marry her. I'm not sure. But, but Lord, uh, I'm, I'm meeting her for lunch at about one o'clock at uh, Jack Astor's. And Lord, if she's going to come with a red dress and her hair uh, is in ponytails and she's wearing black shoes, then I know that this is going to be my wife. (laughs) We laugh, but how many have done exactly that? the fickle finger fate method and now we are introduced to the putting out a fleece method it sounds ridiculous but I think we've all done that to some degree in our text in the book of Judges chapter 6 we find Gideon putting out a fleece why? why did he put out a fleece? for 8 long years the Midianites have ruled Israel and God called Gideon to end that rule but Gideon decides to test God And in our text, we're going to see two different tests. We see Gideon testing God. We have a bit of a teaching this morning. We have Gideon testing God, and then God testing Gideon. And we see first what Gideon does in this test, and I'm going to give you some points that begin with D and W if you're taking notes this morning. Just want to share some thoughts about what is actually going on here. In Judges chapter 36 and 37 we read, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you said Lord, as you said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor, and if there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. If she's wearing a red dress by 2 o'clock, then I know, Lord, you want me to marry her. I'm going to share some thoughts about this. Number one, Gideon discounted God's word. Gideon discounted God's word. Twice in these two verses, Gideon proves that he has discounted God's word. Again, we read, so Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand. The next phrase, next verse, as you have said. And at the end of the verse, as you have said, as you have said. But God has already said it, Gideon. Why are you saying this, as you have said? What, what, why would you tell God twice, as you have said? Are you, are you confused about something? Are you unclear about something? Why would you say as you have said? Gideon already knows his will. Back in verse 14, it says, Go in this place, might of yours, and you shall save Israel by the hand of God and by your hand, Gideon. Have I not sent you? This is the word of the Lord. Gideon had already heard God's word and knew exactly what to do. That wasn't the problem. God clearly spoke you don't need another word from God God hasn't changed his mind there's no brand new interpretation of something that God has already said no no friends this is not about finding God's will this is about finding courage Gideon you were fearful and you were 
trying to find something to to compensate for this fear that you have inside of you despite the fact that God has clearly spoken to you he's given his word his word God said it that settles it and you say well, why do I need to hear because Christians my friends uh, are starting to reject the exclusive uh, infallible all inspiring word of God more today than ever before I gotta park my car here just for a moment I need to talk to somebody and to say something right now did he doubted God's word is there something else Lord is there something new Lord is there some, that's what we see today we see this today I believe more than ever before in the book of Amos the Bible tells us that in the last days there's going to be a famine upon the land and there'll be a famine not of oil or wine but there'll be a famine of the word but that, that you might say but that's not true we have the word we have the word in, in, in our society today we, we some of us have three or four Bibles in our homes but we don't know what the word is saying there's a famine Today, my friends, people are compromising with the Word of God more than ever before. They pick and choose what they want to read. They pick and choose what they want to believe. They add, they take away. There are denominations now that are not accepting or believing that the blood of Jesus is sufficient, that through the blood there's a remission of sin. There are denominations, they don't want to talk about the blood anymore. They've removed it from the Bible. They've taken it away. There's, an, uh, there's a group, and I'm going to say, and I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again, because as a pastor, as a shepherd, I'm concerned about what's happening today in the church and the lives of some people. There's a group called Progressive Christianity. Listen to me. Progressive Christianity. Be very careful about what they teach, because they teach something like this well you know I don't know if this if Jesus really said this and really is this is the Bible really the, the infallible word of God I don't think so so they listen to other men and what they say and what they believe and they're not listening to the word of God they don't believe even the words of Jesus and especially the words of Paul and but they might like a few of them so they'll keep one or two verses but they they, they will not listen to what the word of God and so when you're trying to deal with them as I have and you're trying to discuss certain things as I did you can't even use the Bible because they don't believe the Bible is the inspired word of God and what do they believe but God today he has to give us something new something different I mean that word was then but what about today and so for them the preaching of God's word is not in vogue. It's not what's done anymore. It's old fashioned. God is a God who brings revelation. And so he needs to speak to us. I call the progressive Christians or Christianity Christian Gnosticism. Christian, what is Gnosticism? The Greeks brought this about. Something new. A special revelation that sets me apart. That's what I need. A special revelation. God, can you give me a special revelation? I don't care what's in your word. That's passe. I want something special right now and it's it's like a, a pandemic 
it, it sweeps, it's sweeping. It's the, some of the fastest growing churches in, in, in North America have that mindset. They preach things that are appealing. They don't want to deal with any kind of sin or any kind of, they, 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 they'll tell you that's not the God of grace. They will not listen to anything that's instructive or things that they might perceive is, is correcting you. And so they reject it. And so they add and take away from the word of God as they please. And Gideon would not listen to what God had to say. And he's saying, Lord, can you show me something else? These people don't, are not satisfied with the word of God. There needs to be something more. Did not Paul prophesy there will be a day where people will have itchy ears? They will not be satisfied with the word of God. I want something new. Something that is more exciting. Yeah, some special revelation that, you know, I, that God just hit me over the head with. I don't want the, the, the word of God. Just give me something new, Lord. Something new. Some, now, that can be good in the proper context. We, God is still a God who brings something fresh, but never contradicts his word. Never! It's your ears. You're not satisfied. It's the word of God plus something else. Friends, I'm here to declare to every single one of you, it's never the word of God plus. It's the word of God point final, like we say in French, period. Period. And Revelation has a word for you, Mr. Progressive Christian. The word of God has a word for you, and I'll read it from Revelation chapter 22. Look what it says here in verse 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And God also spoke to Moses in Exodus, that very same scripture. It is a dangerous thing to pick and choose what you want to believe. To add and take away like these denominations are doing. And we're seeing this increase day by day. They take away, they add. In other words, they do not want to adhere to the unadulterated, pure word of God. I got to change it. I got to twist it. I got to make it more appropriate for the times in which we live in. Itchy ears. Paul says many shall depart from the faith because of it. Gideon discounted God's word. Number two, Gideon doubted God's will. His word, now his will. In verse 36, look what it says here. And Gideon said, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, as you have said, he's going to do, then take the word if 
out of it, Gideon, if you really believe it, if, if, out of your conversation, Gideon wasn't walking in faith, he was wobbling in doubt, he wasn't sure, he wasn't sure about his will, yet God spoke to him clearly. He discounted God's word, he, he doubted God's will, and number three, Gideon now dictated God's way. Now he's telling God what to do. That's a terrible thing when you start telling God what to do. I see that today. Many of us have turned God into some kind of cosmic bellhop. Some, some cosmic Santa Claus that exists just to give us good things. We don't like Job because we like what he says, blessed is the Lord who gives, but we don't like the fact that he takes away. We don't like that teaching. Oh, no, 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 Pastor Dino. That, that, yeah. And there's a prosperity teaching today that tells you that God's will is that you are blessed and that you abound and that you have never any lack of anything, that you're never sick, that you have everything good. And all they talk about is the external veneer of blessings and everything that looks good on the outside. It's a synthetic gospel that does not teach the truth that tell God and speak to God and they turn God into some kind of cosmic genie like an Aladdin lamp where you rub the lamp and, you, and all of a sudden this cosmic, this genie appears and now the genie asks you, what do you want me to do for you? In other words, in other words this teaching is that God exists for you. No, friends, God doesn't exist for you. You exist for Him. He doesn't exist for me. This teaching renders God as my servant. This teaching tells me that God will meet my needs. Yeah, he's quoting scripture, but he twists it. When the Bible says God will meet my needs in Philippians 4.19, that's a wonderful scripture. But we always seem to forget verse 15 when we quote verse 19. The Macedonian church that Paul is speaking about were the greatest givers. They sacrificed and suffered themselves unto God. They were blessing others. They weren't concerned about themselves. And Paul says that on the heels of verse 15. Read it for yourselves. My God shall supply all. Yes, he will. But if you think you can do your own thing and you do what you think is right and you're not blessing and you're not giving, you, that scripture does not apply. You're taking it out of context. This teaching takes God's blessing out of context. And they tell God what to do. And God exists for my needs and my happiness and for what I want. And so Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. And if there's dew on the fleece only, and if it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you shall save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so, and he rose up next morning and he squeezed the fleece together and wrung the dew of fleece, a bowl full of water, and then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just one more time. Let me test, I pray thee, just one more, one more with the fleece. But let it now be dry only on the fleece, but, but on the, all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Judges chapter 6, 36 to 40. 
And they'd be saying, oh, Pastor Dino, you just said that God doesn't... No, yeah, I, I know what I said, but I haven't finished my sermon yet. Gideon is telling God what needs to be done because of his doubt. And sometimes we can get into this trap where we tell God what needs to be done. We're not sure and we're giving all kinds of things and we're making God become some kind of uh, 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 a God that just exists for, for, for my benefit and for what I want when the gospel is the very opposite. Listen, I'm not supposed to live for myself. Did, did you hear what? I'm not called to live for me. I am called to die to myself. I am called to pick up the cross and follow him. And if I have that mandate, and if I'm living like that, then I'm not going to be too concerned about getting all the time and receiving all the time. And that's where we get into trouble. When we are too consumed with what we want and what, what I want. Gideon had fears that propelled them to act a certain way and now he's telling God what needs to be done. And so we need to ask a question. How then does God guide us? How does he direct us? We know it's not by a, a fickle finger fate method and I can tell you now, it's certainly not by setting out a fleece even though we see, oh by the way, this is the only time we see it in scripture. Only once. And I'm going to tell you why God responded the way he did a little bit later. But we only see it once. And I'm going to say right from the beginning. If you're not sure what God's will is, I'm going to tell you from the word of God how you can ascertain it. But I can give you the word. Never should you ever determine God's will by setting out a fleece. If you're one that says, Lord, by tomorrow, I'm not sure, but if he comes this way, and if by, my neighbor comes and says hello to me at 6 o'clock in the morning, you do that, I guarantee you, you will end up in some serious trouble. Nowhere do we see in Scripture that God will operate that way, except here, but there's a reason, and I'm going to tell you at the end of the message why it happened. And so we need to ask ourselves, how can we determine God's will? Have you ever asked yourself that question? I'm going to give you four ways, and I'm not going to be too long on them, but I'm going to give you four ways, and Sister Elma covered already a few of them. Number one, first and foremost, what does the Bible say? We know that. What does the Bible say? What does it say? The Bible says in Timothy 3.16 that all scripture, all is inspired by God. That means the book of Obadiah is inspired, the book of Jonah, the book of Amos, the book of Philemon, the book of Jude. Every single book in the Bible is divinely God-breathed. Pnevma, God breathed. God breathed through the prophets and the saints of old and they wrote as the Holy Spirit empowered them and enabled them to write the word of the Lord. God breathed all the scripture, everything. So therefore, I cannot take away nor can I add. This is it, Mr. Progressive Christian. This is it. Stop looking for another way. There's no other way. 
This is it. The word of God. The Bible tells us in Psalm 119, verse 105, thy word is what? A lamp unto my feet, and what? A light unto my path. A lamp and light is what gives you, if you, back then didn't have any electricity, you would take a torch or some candle, and, and you would walk around, and the light from the candle the, would it, cause you to see where you need to go. So the light gives you the ability to see where you need to walk. His word is that light. His word is what gives you direction. His word is what gives you guidance to your path and to your feet. His word brings direction. Joshua chapter 1 verse 7, God gives Moses and to Joshua this directive to observe, to do all my commandments, all what I said for you to do, all that is written in the law, and to not to turn from the right or the left. And that's how you'll be blessed. Focus on my word, everything. Don't turn to the left, don't turn to the right, don't turn to some special revelation, Mr. Progressive. Don't, don't turn to something, don't add, don't take away. Look at the word of God. Don't turn in the other direction. Very clear. In Isaiah 66, 2, the Bible says, this is the man I'm going to look upon. This is the man. Are you ready? Do you want to know what kind of man God looks at? One who's contrite and one who trembles at his word. You honor his word. You honor his word. You love his word. You seek his word. What does the word of God say? You know, when I talk to people like this, especially in ministry, some people that have got connections everywhere, you know, they, they, they think, you know, are you still preaching that? Honest. I said, are you still preaching? Excuse me? What do you mean am I still preaching that? Of course I'm still preaching that. What, what, what? That goes to tell you what is happening. And these people who have said this to me used to be very strong in the word of God. Something has happened. They got itchy ears. And so I wish I can spend more time on I can't, but, but the first thing is look, what does the Bible say? Look to see some direction. Is there something in the word that can give you direction in his word? If you commit your ways to God, the word says he will direct your paths. Proverbs chapter 3. Then number 2, how does God speak? How can we know his will? Number 2, then by the spirit, the spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 9 to 10 says, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. God will reveal unto us by his spirit. God can give you revelation knowledge. God, the first Corinthians chapter 12, one of the gifts is the gift of knowledge or wisdom. God can cause you to see something you've never seen before. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17, Paul prays, that these are to the Christians, that God will open their eyes that they might see. But how? By his spirit. Stop trying to force things or speak at things all the time. Pray that God will give increase. Pray that God will give favor. Pray that God will open the eyes. I can't open them. Only his spirit can so that I can see. So God reveals his will through his word and then by the spirit. I'm going to tell you, my friends, right now, 
every decision I have made to pastor or anything major in my life came to me through the word, but in this case, by the Spirit of God. I thought for sure I was supposed to go this way, but the Spirit of God opened my eyes and said to me, "Uh uh-uh, you got to go that way. I've also learned over the years that what I want to do in my flesh is normally the opposite of what God wants. Just, just, Just for free, you know. And so, he reveals his will by the word of God. He reveals his will as the spirit opens and gives us understanding. Romans 8, 14, as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons. God will lead you by the spirit. God will lead you to a place. God will guide you to a place. And that place might be the place, the last place you want to be. But God will lead. It's his spirit that leads you. His spirit takes you. It goes beyond the natural realm. Because of the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the earth. He sees. He knows God. And then, and then Proverbs chapter 20 verse 27. This is a beautiful one. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly. Let me repeat again. The spirit of man, we all have a spirit, is the what? The candle of the Lord. What does a candle do? It gives direction, correct? We just talked about that word is a lamp to my feet, light my feet. So, so, so my spirit, the spirit of man, is the candle of the Lord. The Lord, so God's going to speak in my spirit. He's going to talk in my heart he's going to give me something inside of me that confirms the word of God what I need to do let me repeat that scripture again the spirit of man that's the real me who I am the inner man the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of your belly and so God is speaking to you he's trying to connect with you and he does that by his spirit into your spirit So we need to do a lot more praying than trying to assess naturally. Our problem is we try to assess things naturally too much. Because when you start assessing things naturally, that's when you can get into trouble. Because how many times has it happened that what looked like should happen never did? And you thought for sure it was going to happen that way because all the circumstances presented to be so. But the very opposite happened. And so, Philippians chapter 3 now, verse 15, we come to another nugget, a tremendous nugget. Look what it says here. Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. God, watch this now. Let me just read, I'll read it from here. Let us therefore as many be perfect or mature, be thus minded, and if it anything be ye otherwise minded, God shall reveal it even unto you. God will reveal it. God will show you. And the backdrop and the point to all this, 
Watch this. Paul did all that he can do to bring them to Christ and to show them the way, but they didn't receive his words at this point. Some of them, for sure. And Paul said, I did everything I can do, but God is going to show you. God is going to reveal it to you. God's going to give you insight. Paul does this, he prays like this all the time. I just mentioned Ephesians 1. But he's working in us both to will and do his pleasure. We talked about that. He that's begun a good work in you shall complete it. How? By his spirit. He's speaking. He's directing. And he talks to us in our hearts to illuminate. The Holy Spirit is not only your comforter, but it illuminates. The Holy Spirit can cause you to see things you've never seen before. But if you're carnally minded, you won't see it. Because you'll be operating more towards what the flesh says. That's why we're in a battle. And that's why you've heard me say thousands of times, perhaps, that our biggest enemy is what? It's not the devil. He's an enemy. But our biggest enemy is me, myself, and I, the flesh. The flesh, the flesh. It's the flesh that fights against the spirit. The flesh tells you, no, it can't be like this because, you know, you know they, they, that person isn't, and you know, it's not as big enough. It's not always trying to assess through the natural, through the eye gate. We don't walk by eye gates. We buy, walk by the faith gate. Number three, God reveals his will through his word, by his spirit, and then at times by godly counsel. Pastor Melody had a word for Elma. There are times God will use people to give you a word. That's right. You got to be careful because there's a lot of people that want to give you a word. Okay? And it's not filled with the Holy Ghost either. But there are times that God will use people to give a word to another person. It happens throughout scripture. First of all, in 1 Corinthians 12, we know that there's the word of knowledge. And sometimes God will use somebody empowered by the spirit to give a word of knowledge. That's something that you've not learned or studied, but something that that person needs to know that's God breathed. And we've seen this over and over again. Agabus, the prophet in the New Testament, had a word for the apostle Paul, and he told them, Paul, you go to Jerusalem, be careful, they're going to tie you up with ropes, they're going to bind you, and they're going to take your lives, your life. He had a word for Paul, and that's exactly what happened. God used Agabus. God used a little maid, 2 Kings chapter 5. We all know the story of the Syrian king, General Naaman. Naaman was a leper, and, 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 and there were some struggles going on, and, and he wanted to, to find healing, and it was told of him that he can find healing, and a little maid spoke to her mistress, her, her, the, the, the owner of the home, the master, and said to her, tell Tell Naaman that there is a prophet in the land by the name of Elisha where you can have your healing. And this little maid gave a word for Naaman and who this person was where that person can get healed. And it was a word in season. God used a little maid to bring healing to a great general. What about David? 
and Bathsheba and the prophet, what was his name? Nate. He came and said, David, put your religious pride aside for a moment, Mr. David. I, 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 I know you're God's man, but just hold on a second. You think what you did, you got away with it. I know you tried to play some games. I know you put Uriah in front of the line. He can get killed in battle so that you could cover up your sin. But David, you can never cover up your sin because God sees everything. David, you're the one. You're the one. Yeah, yeah, you committed adultery with Bathsheba and you've given the heathen and pagans occasion to blaspheme God by your actions Nathan the prophet told him that and that was a great word because David repented and we have Psalm 51 one of the greatest psalms as a result of that sometimes God will use people to bring counsel to bring direction even correct, correction and even guidance he'll use someone and lastly number four and I would say as important as number one is prayer, seeking God. Second Chronicles says that the eyes of the Lord are going to and fro throughout the earth, showing himself strong to those who are seeking him or to those whose hearts are committed to him. It speaks of seeking God. Jeremiah chapter 33 verse 3, if you call upon the name of the Lord, if, did you see the, that? That means you got a choice. If you call, don't call on everybody else if you call upon the Lord. I got people, they call my wife, they call me constantly when they have a trouble. I, I'm glad you do that, but, but you know what? You know what? I, I, we're just men and women. We're just, we're just flesh. You need to call upon God more than you do man. Call upon the name of the Lord and what? He will answer you and He will show you things that you're not even aware of. Did you hear what the Word of God? This is the Word of God. He says if you call upon Him, He will show you. Interesting, the word call in the Hebrew means to keep on calling. It's written in the present participle. We give up too easily. We pray for two minutes. We don't hear from God. Oh, let me go speak to the pastor. No. Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13, if you search for me with all of your heart, you will find me. I will direct you. I will give you the guidance you need. Matthew 7, ask, seek, and knock, and it shall be open. Again, written in the present participle. It shall be open. God will open a door. God will show you. God will guide you. Stop looking for direction from, from something else. If you seek God, ask, seek, knock. Knock what? You're calling upon God. You're calling upon God. And as you're calling upon upon God the Bible says he will respond Amen. now it doesn't say when and maybe that's what the problem is Elma you said the details were vague that's what the problem is you, you don't have the details you may not have the crystal answer right away and so what do we do we end up in the flesh and we end up putting fleece oh God if it's your will then, then maybe by tomorrow look the Bible never says when he will respond. But the Bible does say he will respond. Your responsibility, my responsibility, is just to be consistent in what you are doing. Don't give up praying. There's a reason why it's taking longer than you think or want. 
There's a reason why things are taking longer than what you expected. James 4, draw close to God and he will draw close. The effectual, James 5, 16, the effectual, fervent prayer, that means consistency, that means fire. Fervent is a Greek word, means to be on fire. The effectual, fiery prayer of a what? Of a righteous man. Here are the prerequisites. I'm going to give you three prayers. Look, prayer, fiery prayer, that means consistency. The consistent, the, the effectual, fervent prayer, effectual, fer, of a what? Of a right man. You, you, you got to be living right. Huh. I know these people are oh, praying, but they're not living right. You can forget about hearing from God. I can be on. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. What's the fruit? What's the result? Availeth much. God is going to answer. Not little, much. He will avail. You will see. Don't stop. The effectual, fervent. The effectual, fervent, fervent, fiery, consistent prayer availeth much. Amos said, "What he what." that he reveals his secrets to his servants. Servant speaks of intimacy. My servant, did not Jesus say, I no longer call you servants, but friends, John 15, 15, did not Jesus say in John 14, 21, he said, said, if you obey my commandments, then you love me and I will manifest myself to you. I will reveal myself. I will show you. I will guide you. I will speak to you. I will speak. I will manifest myself to you as you follow me. I no longer call you servants, but what? Friends, speaks of intimacy. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. You see, when you have an intimate walk with God, you know the shepherd and you're able to determine his voice. Back in the day where the Bible was written, there were many shepherds and they all had distinct whistles, different whistle for the sheep. Every shepherd had a different voice. And the sheep would respond to the voice of the shepherd. The shepherd spent time with the sheep. And the sheep learned the voice of the shepherd. Intimacy! Where you can learn to hear God's voice. This is the way you are to walk. Pastor Melody, walk ye in it. This is the way you should walk, Isaiah tells us. Lydia... Walk in it. You're going to hear. It may not be an audible voice, but you're going to hear it in your spirit. And what is the result? A peace. Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of God rule your hearts. The Greek word for rule is the word umpire. An umpire in baseball calls strikes and balls. The umpire is the one who calls the game. Let the peace of God be your umpire. Let it be the one that calls and dictates how you're going to live. My God, don't you love the word of God? How can we stray from it? Why would you want to take away from it? What are you doing? What are you doing? You know what you're doing? You've got itchy ears and you've lost your focus. That's what you're doing. 
and you're trying to make God a big genie and you don't like what the word of God says, so let me get something fresh. Let me rub the Aladdin lamp. Maybe there's a new revelation somewhere. Oh, I'm speaking to somebody. I know it. And so, we do not find God's will by putting out a fleece. This was an exception. And so why, 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 verse 40, why did God respond? Why did he honor? Well, let me just tell you something, friends. When I first got saved, God dealt with me differently than he does now. When I was drinking milk, I just got saved. The things I saw, I struggled. The things I experienced, the things I saw as a baby Christian, and did, I, I can't and And, and can, can I'm, I'm going to be straight with some of you. I was preaching in Los Angeles on the streets. God, I, I saw visions. God, I mean, I, 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 I've, I have not seen things like I did in those days today, I, I, very rarely. But what I saw when I first got saved, the hunger and passion, and yet I still was grappling with certain sins in my life that I wasn't able to let go at that time. How can that be? When you're young and immature and you just come to Christ, God deals with you in a different, I'm a parent, okay? But I, I've learned that with my three children, especially when they were younger, I don't deal with Tiffany the way I dealt with Amanda because of the state that they're in. Now, my principles are the same, but you have to deal, but when Tiffany got older, huh, that's a different ball game because she should know better. Do you understand what I'm talking about? When you're drinking milk, God does things and allows, allows some things for a period of time. But don't take advantage of that. That's why Paul said to the Galatians, you have taken your liberty and your grace and you've used that for the occasion of your flesh. There's a time where God will say, no, you need to grow up. I'm, I, 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 I'm going to stop right here. I, I, there was a time I allowed this for a reason, but, but you're eating meat right now, and you should know better. Gideon basically just got the call. He was still plagued with fear. He had a problem. God dealt with Israel in the wilderness a little bit different than later on. How many miracles did God show the Israelites over and over again when they were in the wilderness? They were just a young group. They were just called out from Egypt. But as Israel became a nation, do you notice how God dealt with them differently? You better believe it. They went into captivity for 70 years. Listen, folks, if you've been a believer for a long time and you're still living the way you were for two years... God will deal with you differently than when he dealt with you when you first got saved. I can assure you of that. Gideon didn't know much better. He didn't go to Bible college. He didn't have a pastor to raise him. He didn't understand many, many things. We're not so sure. In fact, Gideon said, I'm the least in my father's house and my tribe is the least of all of Israel. I don't know what kind of instruction he had. Godly instruction. Not much. And I believe there is a reason. He had no experience. And I believe the Almighty God sympathized with his weakness because he saw his heart. Gideon wanted to please God, however. And even though he wrestled with worry and doubts, how many of us do the same thing today? 
Yet God is faithful while we are faithless. So there's an element of grace where God will allow certain things just like he did with divorce and remarriage. What did Jesus say about divorce and remarriage? Yeah, 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 yeah. We gave a bill of divorce, but it was because of the hardness of your hearts. It wasn't his will. God will deal with us according to the condition, but there's a time where you and I have to grow up. There's a time you and I have to say enough is enough. You can't expect to be blessed of God if you're still living the same way you've lived 20 years ago. It doesn't work that way. But for Gideon, he just started in the ministry. And I believe because of that, and because deep inside of him he did want deliverance, God honored that. That's why I believe we see what we see today. And so we see God now testing Gideon. Gideon finished testing God. I want to close with this. God now is about to test Gideon. Judges chapter 7, we find God testing Gideon in four different ways. Verse 1, Then Jeroboam, Gideon, and all the people who were with them rose up early and camped beside the well of Harod. So the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. Because Gideon had blown the trumpet, Israel had rallied to him 32,000 men. And they were camped in a place called Harod. Harod means fear and trembling. Harod, I looked up, means fear and trembling. And that's exactly what the Israelites were, and that's exactly what Gideon was, fear and trembling. And when they peered across the valley, they saw 135,000 Midianites trembling. Trembling was easy to do when you see yourself outnumbered like that. Judges chapter 7 verse 12. Now let's continue. The Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east were lying in the valley, numerous as the locusts and their camels were without number, as the sand by the seashore in multitude. It was 32,000 against 135,000. 32,000 Hebrews against 135,000 Midianites and Amalekites. Wow! No wonder their fear and trembling. Ah, oh, my friends, but here comes the test, the first test. Here's the first test, and this test comes to all of us. Here we have the confidence test. Gideon, are you confident enough to believe that even though you're outnumbered, that God can still bring deliverance? We see the first test is the confidence test. And all these tests, I believe, God does for each and every one of us. The confidence test in God. God says, if you're going to be in my army, Gideon, and you're going to be my leader, you must renounce all other confidences, especially in yourself, and put all your confidence in me, because I refuse for you to take sufficiency from yourself. And you've got to get to a point, Gideon, where you can sing that anthem that God is my ability and my inability. That God is my adequacy and my inadequacy. That God is my sufficiency and my insufficiency. God wanted to teach Gideon a lesson, a principle. He wants to teach all of us the very same principle. Whom do you put confidence in? What do you have confidence in? Was this not the principle that God was teaching Asa? God blessed Asa over and over and over again. 
Bless them, my great revival. And all of a sudden, Asa, just out of nowhere, started to trust in man. And he put his confidence in the general of the Syrian army. And the prophet was released and said to Asa, what have you done? Has God not been with you? And now you place your confidence in a man? And Asa was stricken and smitten with a disease on his foot. He lost confidence in God for no reason whatsoever because he saw the mass numbers like Gideon and he said, oh, that goes to tell your friends that God can bless you so powerfully and if you don't keep your eyes on him, the very next week you can end up trusting the king of Syria over the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Please don't tell me because miracles have come in my life that that qualifies me and gives me the strength to keep on believing. I wish that was true because I know for many that's not true. How many times has God blessed you and even shown miracles and yet you are not serving God the way he's called you to serve him? Who do you have confidence in, my friends? Was this not what God was trying to Revealed to Pharaoh through Moses. This great confrontation. But God, where, who, I'm going to see Pharaoh, but whom, whom shall I say? You tell him I am that I am is sending you. He faces the enemy Pharaoh, the devil's agent. And what is God going to do? God is going to show Moses that you can put your confidence in God. What happens? Pharaoh worships the Nile God. So what does God do? He sends blood. Blood to contaminate the waters. Pharaoh, your Nile god's got a problem. Pharaoh worships the apis bull. What does God do? Sends fleas and festins, gnats to, to cause all, all kinds of, of problems with the livestock. And then he causes boils to take place. He said, your God is not enough that you can have confidence in, oh Pharaoh. Pharaoh worships himself what does God do he sends a death angel to kill the first male born what was God doing I wish I had more time to talk about he's knocking one by one all these false gods that Pharaoh was depending upon knocking them down one by one so they can see and he can see the true and living God and guess what friends he does that with you and me each and every day let me ask you who are you placing confidence in if you're placing confidence in anyone else but God you're worshipping the apis bull or the Nile God it's all the same the God of entertainment the God of self it's all the same gods this is what God is trying to teach Gideon. Now watch this. Watch this. Gideon looks across the valley of the Midianites and the Lord said to Gideon, the people are too, too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Judges 7.2 And Gideon calculating in his mind and he says, all right, all right. they've got 135,000, I've got 32,000 and you're telling me that there's too many, Lord? They got 135, we got 32, and the Lord tells Gideon, wait a minute Gideon, you're too many. Does that make sense? Does that make, I want you to get rid of some people, there's too many in this army. Hold on a second, what are you talking about? 32 versus 135, you've got to be kidding. How many times has God said something like that? Oh, it comes in a different way, but the bottom line is, it just doesn't make sense, does it? Nothing makes sense in the natural realm. 
when it comes to God? God is saying, if I don't do something like this, you're going to place your confidence in your own ability. Yeah, that's right. Why would God employ such... Because he knew that if Israel won the battle in their own strength, they would take credit for the victory. Judges 7-2, God reveals the reason for his plan, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. God's saying this himself. It can never be too small for God to use, my friend, but you can always be too big for God to use. God wanted to teach a principle that principle remains with you and me today. We have the confidence test, the courage test. Verse 3, Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. So he says, Tell them, if you're scared of the Midianites, 135,000, okay, go ahead. Who wants to leave, leave. 22,000 men left the army that day. Only 10,000 remained to fight 135,000. God gives another word to Gideon. Hey, guess what, Gideon? I'm sorry, Gideon. I'm glad you did that, but you're still too many. Oh, my God. This is when you can preach the message, less is more. But this is what you also know that one with God is a majority, my friend. This is where we learn that only one with God can be a majority. Gideon, I got another plan. You need to reduce your army. Now we have the commitment test. The confidence, courage, and now commitment. Chapter 7, verses 4 and 6. Then the Lord said to Gideon, You are too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them there. I will te- oh, test them. Yes, yes. Then it will be out of that whom I say you. This one shall go with you. The same shall go with you. Now watch what it says here. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps for water with his tongue as a dog laps, set him apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those who lapped putting their hand in their mouths was 300 men, but all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water, so that 9,700 men who bent over to drink were dismissed in putting their face next to the water. They lost sight of everything else, including the enemy, but 300 who drank by scooping up the water with their hands made the cut. Look how you enter into God's army, how you drink water. How you drink water will cause you to qualify or not be qualified. What kind of qualifications are these? Ah, but there's a spiritual principle, friends. You see, friends, there's, there's a huge principle here, and maybe you've never seen it before. I, haven't, I didn't really see this till recently. I didn't really see this too recently. There was a reason why God did this. Yeah, we talked about the pride issue. You're too many. But, but they were different. These men were different. 300 men were willing to stand up against the majority. Now, I want you to visualize. Peer pressure. You've got 9,700 men who are drinking water like dogs. Wouldn't you want to follow their example? 
you're kind of a little strange to start taking water in your hand. How many times have you succumbed to peer pressure? These men, they stood firm. You want to be in God's army, you can't follow the ways of the world. You want to be in God's army, you can't succumb to peer pressure. You got to do what Paul said, having done all, let us stand. You got to take a stand. And they were disciplined. You know, when you're drinking water like this, your eyes are what? Look at your eyes. You're still able to see in front of you, right? But when you're lapping water like a dog, what happens? You can't see in front of you. Is that not true? Is that not true? To me, it's a principle of being alert. It's what Peter says be sober minded, be alert. Keep your eyes. Rick, you'll love this one because you coached. I played hockey for many years. And my coach told me, Dino, I know you like to carry the puck, but I'm going to tell you something you said to me. You got to keep your eyes straight ahead. Don't look at the puck and carry it because you're going to get hit pretty badly if you do that. I learned this lesson very early in my life. I was just a young, 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 young player. Maybe I was 10, 11. I'm not sure. Something like that. And so when I'd carry the puck, I used to carry it like this. You know. Coach says, you can't do that. You got to carry the puck and keep your head up. Keep your head up. So you can see what's going on. See who's available so you can pass the puck. Or maybe you can do something. But if your eyes are on the puck, you can't see what's around you. There's a spiritual principle here. With God, you got to keep your eyes up. Because you got to be alert what's going on out there. Be sober-minded. Occupy until he comes. Yeah, you're not occupying if you got your hand and your face on the ground. You can't see what's going on. You ever seen documentaries of animals drinking water? You ever see them, whether it's infested with crocodiles? You ever see how they drink their water? They drink their water like this because they're scared that the crocodiles might come and, and bring him into the... Has anybody ever seen those documentaries before? You know what I'm talking about. Inevitably, the animal that drinks like this is not aware. Usually, they're the young ones. They get snatched by the crocodiles. Spiritual principle. Keep your eyes ahead of you. Keep focused. Keep running the race. The prize that's before you. Don't, don't, don't hide your head in the earth. Keep your eyes focused. And that's exactly what we see here. Got to close, my friends. What do we see? What do we learn? What do we learn? What do we learn? That God's ways are not our ways. His will is not our will. His work is not our work. We need to be flexible. We need to be sensitive. Not to assess things with the natural mind. The second thing we learn is that, is that He will offend your mind to reveal your heart. The second thing we learn is that he will tell the army, if you're fearful, go away, go. And he'll use only 300 to face 135,000 trained men. These were not trained men. These were men who knew how to drink water, who drank water by lapping it up with their hands. That was the qualifications for fighting 135 strong warriors. Exactly, because you're not in the battle. You're not fighting the battle in your own strength. It's not your strength that's going to bring the victory. In fact, it's your weakness that will bring the victory. Your humility 
that will bring the victory. Your brokenness that will bring the victory. Your dependence on God. Not how big your army is. Or My wife isn't here today. And honestly, whether she'd be here or not, I was going to use this illustration. It just so happened she's not here. I want to talk about my wife. She's watching on Facebook, so it's okay. She, she's going to hear me. But I've got I to gotta end off my message with this story. And so the four principles in discerning God's will, how did that apply in my personal life? You see, what I'm sharing with you today is what I have tried to do most of my life. These are not a message that I got from somebody else or I heard from someone else. This message comes from many years of dealing with many issues in my life. I gave you four principles. Can someone quote them? What are they? Number one, the word. Number two, his spirit. Number three, godly counsel. Number four, prayer. When I got saved in 1980, now you know some of this story, but you don't know the rest of it, and I'm going to give you the rest today. When I got saved in 1979-80 in Los Angeles, immediately I went into a lot of confusion what to do in my life. I wasn't sure what to do. I wanted to do this, and God says, no, no, I'm bringing you here. It took, a, it took at least a year for God to show me what I needed to do. I finally left Hollywood after a lot of trial and error, and I ended up going to Montreal, but I still was confused because I didn't know what to do. That's part of my problem. What am I supposed to do, Lord? I, you know, that doesn't make sense. I, I'm not prepared for anything. So you just trust me. And uh, I went to church, and my pastor gave me a word. Huh. Yeah, I'm going to give you the four principles right here. Do you know, I believe God's called you to Bible college. I really do. I said, Bible college? You know this part of the story. I, I couldn't stand school, couldn't stand to study, so I didn't think it was right, but then I ended up going to Bible college. Okay, graduated. But this now, I needed to get married. I'm in ministry now. I'm a single young man. It's tough to be a single young man in ministry, Pastor Josh. <clears throat> so, <laughs> that's just for free. Don't, don't. I'm going to hear it later. Um, I got inspired somehow. He doesn't listen to me. I might as well, might as well preach it. So I prayed and prayed, and things got worse. <laughs> But I prayed and I prayed, nothing, 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 nothing. What did we say? The effectual fervent. Nothing, nothing, nothing for years and years. I could have very easily gotten the flesh. I had a few other women who wanted to marry me. No problem, but nah, nah. Didn't feel it, didn't sense it. I met a lady. And we hit it off. I was in one of my evangelistic campaigns and we got together and I was kind of desperate to get married at this point, and I thought this was the right one. It seemed to make sense to me. So we were all set. Everything's established. She was supposed to come and meet my parents November uh, 1986. All of a sudden, she calls me out of nowhere. I said, Dino, I don't understand, but 
I was ready to come, but something is telling me I, I, I just can't, I can't marry you. Wow. Okay. Why? I don't know. I just, I don't think I, just don't feel this is the right thing to do. I said, okay. And I was very discouraged. Very, 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 very discouraged because I thought for sure this was God's will for me. And so I did what I can do. You know, I was praying, continued, I, I still prayed. Things were so confusing to me. Like Gideon, so confusing. Lord, if you're with us, then why are all these things happening? That's what Gideon said to God. How many times have you said that? One day, a godly man gave me a godly word. He said, Dino, um, I've, I've been praying for you and the Lord spoke to my heart and told me you're going to find your wife very soon. Pastor Melody had a word for Elma that she was going to get pregnant. I respect this man immensely, I, but I didn't want to hear that because I just, this woman broke up with me, left me, you know, I, I was devastated. So I, didn't, I said, fine, okay. I, and so, I'm still praying and I'm in his word, seeking direction. Never stopped doing that, however. But I kept praying. And one Wednesday evening, it was Christmas time, uh, Pastor Bombay, he normally does the Bible study, the adult Bible study. He was doing the cantata, so he asked me if I can fill in. So I preached that, that night the Bible study, the only Bible study I've ever done that year. I never did Bible study. That day, I see this redhead come down the steps. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to wax eloquent, you know. And the Lord said, you know, and my head hit the thing. I, I, I lost my, my, I got blind all of a sudden. I was smitten with blindness. Uh, I couldn't see my notes. <laughs> I wasn't sure what time it was. Was it the afternoon? <laughs> was it Wednesday? Is it Thursday? And uh, what's worse is she came and sat right in front of me. <laughs> of all places, you could have gone to the back of the church at least. Right in front of me. And I, I don't like preaching. From, I, I preach right in front here. I, and, and she's right there. Like you are, right here. And I'm trying to, you know, keep my eyes from lapping water like a dog. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to do this and it's not working. Yeah. Anyway, I preached whatever worst sermon in my life, but I preached, and then 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 it made things worse. And then I asked a question at the end of my message, and she puts up her hand. <laughs> oh God! We ended up meeting, and so we all, we all know this story. This is not, so we end up connecting, and she was going to be engaged with somebody else. So I said, you know, you just get out of town, please. You know, like what am I getting gay? So things looked worse and worse. Circumstances were all against me. I mean, it was just one thing after another. Anyway, we know the story. Uh, then I remembered the words of Pastor Bombay. Christmas Eve came. And uh, Christmas Eve, we normally have a Christmas Eve fellowship at the pastor's house. 
and I respectively declined that, that time. I said, no, I, I got to go home and pray. Christmas Eve? Yeah, I just, I, I need to pray. I, I, what, what's wrong? No, I just need to pray. So I spent Christmas Eve in prayer. Lord, this woman, I can't get her out of my mind. Is this, are you saying, is, is she, is there something here? And I kept praying, and I felt within my spirit that God was doing something, but it wasn't clear yet, but it was getting clear. And I prayed right to the morning, and a peace came. And so next time I met Nadia, she was, I asked for counseling because she was going to marry this man. <laughs> now I'm supposed to counsel her about marrying this man. Like, can you are, you, are you with me here how crazy this is? Are you kidding me? I got to counsel you? You got to counsel me. <laughs> so, uh, so she, she tells me, uh, yeah, I, I want to I marry him, but he's not really serving the Lord. And what, what do you say to me? What do I do? And when she said when she said, I, I don't know if I can marry him. That's it! <laughs> I, I said, okay, Lord. I'm listening now more than ever. And uh, she asked me, you know, <laughs> some direction. And I, I said, oh, my gosh. I, I actually went back to her. I said, you know, I can't counsel you anymore. And I told her. I told her my feelings. I said, Nadia, I, I want to be a, a truthful, honest pastor. I can't continue to counsel you. I can't. And my integrity tells me I can't because I have feelings for you. I'm so sorry. You have to see someone else. <laughs> that wasn't easy to do, man. Let me tell you something. She became wider than she already is. <laughs> and that's not easy either. <laughs> she couldn't... She went home. She cried to her mother. She says, Mommy, the pastor likes me. <laughs> See, her mother's been praying that she would find someone in the ministry. So we decided to kind of cool it off a bit, but I couldn't. I called up one day. I said, I said, Nadia, I don't know. I feel the Lord wants us together. I don't understand, but... And I told this to a few friends of mine, and they started laughing at me. Uh, this hurt a lot. Some very godly people. And fear started coming in like Gideon. Dino, how long has she been saved? Oh, about a year. You're going to marry someone who's just been saved about a year, and, and you're going to take it right into ministry? Dino, you... Are you kidding me? Is that God's will for you? What's your background? Well, she's, you know, she's Catholic, you know. Catholic? I'm just telling you what they said. I'm not saying. You're kidding me, right? Found out that Nadia's very timid. Found out she's scared of people's faces. She doesn't like to speak publicly at all found out that she struggled in those areas like Gideon in the wine press 
One pastor wanted to interview her because he was concerned for me and gave her the third degree. Now, you know, if you're going to be serious with Pastor Dion, this is what you have to be like. And she was terrified. Everything seemed to go awry, but I checked those four points. I prayed. Yes, I feel... I was in his word. The word says, do not be unequally yoked. Marry someone who's contrite, who's timid, uh, not timid, who's gentle spirit, who's got a godly spirit. Yes, check. Someone gave me godly, godly counsel that I was going to find my wife. Check. And I prayed. And the Lord spoke to me on Christmas Eve and told me, this is... And that day, is there wedding bells here? Is there, is some, am I supposed to get married uh, over again? Like, what, what just happened there? It's Christmas. And I went and told Nadia, we got engaged in six months and got married after nine months. That's what God wants us to understand, my friends that he will speak to you. You can know his will. You can be directed by his spirit. You don't have to live in a cloud for the rest of your life. You can know his will. But if you follow those principles of prayer and his word and, 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 and you seek God with all your heart, God will make a way. He will use somebody somewhere down the road to confirm. There'll be a, God will do it. But hold on. Don't give up. God will speak and give you the answer you need. Let us all stand together, please. I apologize for the length of my message, but I believe it was needed. I want every person that's grappling with obscurity and you're not clear about what you need to do for your life, you're grappling with a certain decision, you're grappling with what is God's will for your life who you're going to marry. You're grappling with where you should go to school. You're dealing with personal issues, what you should do, where you should go. Maybe you're even grappling with what church you should go to. I have a word for you. God can reveal it. God can speak to you. God can show you. Surrender your life. Surrender. God will speak. Surrender your will. Surrender your logic. Your logic gets you in trouble, my friend. Logic. Analysis of paralysis. God can speak.